Jesus is alive. It's wonderful to know that. I pray that and trust that you've been walking in that uh, this entire week, uh, even before that, but in this uh, entire week. Um, have mercy on me this morning. I noticed that there's no eggs to be thrown, which is good. Uh, Judy, Judy and I didn't get much sleep last night, but uh, we're here this morning. So if it comes out sort of muffled by mypillow.com. Anyway, uh, uh, that was not a commercial, by the way. That was just that I hear it all the time. Anyway, okay. We've been talking this year. Uh, of a journey that God is taking us into. Our theme this year is new life in Zion. That God wants to do new life in us. He wants to bring about things in us that is going to bring again life and revival and strength to his people, us. And we've been talking about the journey we're on. Um, we have seen uh, God just speak to our hearts over and over again. Began way back in January uh, about what's in your pack. If you remember that, we were wondering what, what are we carrying on our journey, and we talked about the four names of God that Isaiah prophetically talks about the Lord Jesus, that he's a wonderful counselor, wonderful counselor. I pray that you are finding him when you don't know what to do, you find him as wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. His power is unlimited. We can trust in his power and might and draw upon that power. When, uh, Paul said, when I'm weak, he is strong. Uh, his grace is sufficient for me. So he's a mighty God. We need that on our journey. And then there's everlasting father, the relationship of a father to a child, that his care for us, his protection for us, his carrying us through the journey. And then the uh, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace, that's the last one. Understanding his peace, shalom. So we've talked about what's in your pack, but then we went on a little bit more in our journey and talked about a man on a journey by the name, we don't know his name. We call him the Good Samaritan. And we've talked about his journey and a parable that Jesus told about how that whole scene, if you remember all that we covered out of Luke chapter 10. Uh, many of you know that uh, Judy and I were out in Pennsylvania yesterday having a, uh, perform I was performing a, w a marriage, a wedding, um, and it was uh, sort of on the spur of the moment, but we knew the fellow, and so we came out there. And so yesterday, um, Judy was talking to one of the groomsmen who has, was coming up on Friday uh, from one of the Carolinas, maybe South Carolina, and his car broke down. His car broke down on, in West Virginia, and uh, he, he said, I was looking at my gauge, and I'm thinking, ah, I should get off here to get gas, but maybe I'll go to the next exit. I think I have enough to make it. While he's coming off of the ramp, he gets to the top, he stops there, and his car stops. He's still got gas, but his car stops, just, and he will not start. And he's sitting there. The guy comes up behind him, gets out, and uh, he was beginning to push his car off the side of the road. And the guy said, let me help you, let me help you. And he began to push, and they got off the ramp and just pushed a little ahead. And he's right in front of an auto repair shop and a, and a car rental place. And so they pull in, the guy said, uh, uh, what do you need? How, how can I help you? How can I make sure that you get to where you, what can I do? And he said, no, no, thank you so much. Finally, the guy grabbed him by the shirt, and he pulled him to him, and he took $200. He said, no, 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 don't give me $200. He said, I want you to have $200 shoved in his pocket. And I said, I'm staying here till you get back on the road. And so he's telling Judy this amazing story that he's going through. And Judy said, that was either the, an angel or the good Samaritan. He went, what? 
the Good Samaritan. You don't know that story in the Bible? No, let me tell you. This is what happened. Somebody came along and acted on your behalf to help you on your journey. Well, he, made, he finally made it that night. We were trying to, this young lady had about 100 on each side of her wedding party. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I've had that big, but this was about eight or nine on each side. So it was a big, big wedding party. And so somebody filled in his spot until yesterday during the wedding, and there he was. But the Good Samaritan, we're reminded again how God brings across our path when we're desperately in need in our journey, God will provide someone to walk us through the rest of the way. And it was just uh, that testimony yesterday. Now, from there, we looked at uh, different journeys to the children of Israel as they were going through the wilderness journeys out of Numbers uh, 33. We talked a lot about the lessons we can learn. And then uh, two weeks ago, we were uh, Palm Sunday. We talked about the dinner that was held in Jesus honor the day before the triumphal entry we heard about simon the leper and lazarus and martha and mary and judas all those people whose lives interchanged and intersected at that moment the day before the the uh, entrance of jesus prophetically coming in riding on a donkey coming in in the palm branches hosanna hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord now um how many of you remember everything i just told you there's going to be a quiz You know, I guess it's not my, it's, it's somebody's fault that nobody remembers these stories. But anyway, I'm not going to preach them all again, even though I probably should to catch up. But uh, la- last week, we looked at uh, John 3:16. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a great teacher of the Torah, came to Jesus by night. And it was in that context that Jesus gives those words, he that believes in me shall have everlasting life. And we talked a lot about the matter of for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son, his one and only son, his only begotten son, the son that he loved, the dearest one to him, to the son that he loved. And he gave him to the earth, to a world that has thumbed their nose at God and continues to do it. But God still loves the world. That whosoever, anyone, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so that, that story, that, journey, that truth has gripped our hearts in these last days. Well, as a week has gone by since last Sunday, I was um, reminded, and uh, if you get the PJ connection, you would have read this, about one of the disciples in, after the resurrection. Last week would have been Resurrection Sunday, and then during the days that followed after that, there was uh, one of the... Um, couple of them, actually, disciples who went back up to um, Galilee. Would you take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 21? John chapter 21. John chapter 21. I'll just read a little bit of it. I don't want to go over this story in particular, but I did write about it if you received it and read it. Um, but John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again. 21, John 21, verse 1. After Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. 
Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Well, throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. What I was spoken, what I sensed in my heart last week was the fact that many of us, after we've seen God do great things in our life, it was the, probably the greatest miracle anyone could ever uh, witness and be a part of, and that's the resurrected, the Lord Jesus resurrected. And the angel said it at the tomb, go back, go in, back up to Galilee. That's from Jerusalem to Galilee. It's a long journey back up there to the north of Israel, to the Sea of Galilee region. And he said, you get up there. And Jesus said, he'll meet you there. To, one, to Mary, he said, you go tell the brothers that I'll meet him up there. So they knew that Jesus was going to meet them up there in Galilee. But Simon and these seven disciples went up there, but he didn't show up right away. So there they are wondering, and what do we do when we don't know what to do is we often go back to our normal patterns of what we know, not realizing that Jesus wants to meet us right there. And so what happened was that Simon is sitting around with the guys and he said, all right, let's go back fishing. We know fishing, that's our livelihood, let's just go out and catch some fish and that'll solve everything, just like the old days, we'll do it. Not recounting the fact for three and a half years they followed Jesus, seen miracles, cast out demons, raised the dead, uh, saw the, the power of God, but then they saw their Savior crucified, buried. But then he rose again, and he said, go there, and I'll meet you there. But what is a powerful part of that story is that while they're coming into fish, Jesus is on the shore, and then I'm not going to read it, go through it. You can do that in your Bibles, you read it. Jesus and Peter have one of the most intimate challenging conversations that Peter will never forget, would never forget when Jesus talked to him. He said, do you really love me, Peter? And Jesus gives Peter commission, gives him purpose at a place where he just wanted to go fishing. And I wrote in my article that many people get to a difficult place in life and go fishing, but they never come back. They said, well, I'm disappointed. It didn't work out the way I wanted to. And they go fishing because they go back to the old way of things and never come back to allow Jesus to touch their hearts. So this resurrected Christ who comes and begins to walk among people continues to, on their journey, continues to touch their hearts. Peter's heart gets touched again, and that's a wonderful story. But then there's another individual. If you go back a chapter, just look over, maybe the next column back over in your Bible, in chapter, ver, chapter 20, go to verse 24. And this is where I'm going to go this morning, out of 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples. Now, this goes back before 21 when they're out to Galilee. This is back in Jerusalem when they were there. So the other disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord. We've seen him. He's resurrected. He, we've seen him. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. 
See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said, and because you have seen me, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I have to take you to Mark, go to Mark chapter 16 just for a moment. Because he wasn't really the only one that had that part of him, that doubting part of him. Because in Mark chapter 16, you read down, it says when Jesus, verse 9, now if your Bible has that in italics, it said it might not be in some of the earliest manuscripts. I still believe it's part of the canon, but that's what I believe and I'm going to read it. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they didn't believe it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. This is a story in the men on the way to Emmaus. They returned and reported to the rest, but they didn't believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. There's something about us in our mentality or the way we approach life. And too often, we're like Thomas who says, we're not going to believe God until he answers my prayers. I'm not going to believe God until he shows up. We become like, is it Missouri, the, the show me state? I'm not going to believe until I see something happen that I can say, okay, that's it. In our Bible study, or, our, or in this journey that we have been on, some of you have brought up the comment, I have, I know, many others have said, why did the children of Israel, after they had seen so many things that God had done, they had witnessed the uh, destruction of Egypt's gods in the plagues. They had seen the crossing of the Red Sea. They saw manna produced. They saw quail produced. Every day they looked up and there was a cloud to lead them, a fire by night to keep them warm and in comfort. They get to a mountain. They see a mountain on fire. They hear God's voice from heaven, from the clouds, the lightning and all that. Why can't they get it? I don't know if you've ever thought that. What is... How much more can God do to show them all these things, they can see it, and yet they had so little faith, and they failed and failed. We watched it, we studied how it happened. But maybe it's not because of what they were seeing, but they were having a problem of hearing God. Hearing God. About a year ago, uh, a teaching letter came from Bridges for Peace, written by Cheryl Hauer and a rabbi out of England, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, and the Israel teaching letter. And that letter really impacted me, and I've wanted to use it, wanted to use it, but today I think I need to bring it out because the matter of our seeing and hearing are vital. They write, Anthropologists are using technology, have delved into the concept of the hierarchy of our human senses. 
if you have your five senses, this is how we relate to our world, you know, sight, sound, touch, taste. Um, there's another one in there. All of them, you know the five. But we talked about that in terms of this is how we relate to our world. All these things come at us, and God's wired, hardwired our brain that when we hear things, when we see things, when we taste things, touch them, we get all these things, and that's how we understand how to relate to our world, and that's how we judge whether things are right or wrong because of what we have seen. So scientists try to say, let's make a hierarchy of this and see which one is the most important. How do we judge ourselves? You know, we just think, well, uh, that's the way it is. So they continue right. He said, researchers have discovered that the most important element in ranking the senses is not biology at all, but rather culture. Traditions and values play the basic role in determining which sensory impressions should be deemed the most important. They studied 20 various diverse culture groups around the world, and they've learned that our basic assumptions in life have indeed been very wrong. While most Western cultures, that's us, prioritize sight over the other four senses, those living in the cold area and climates have a tendency to prioritize touch. Aborigine cultures in Australia, on the other hand, rank smell as the most important of the five. The Bedouin have many words for sand, many words to describe sand. The Inuit have many words for snow. And meanwhile, some would find it difficult to discuss the sky because they have no word for blue. And those Western cultures that prioritize sight are firm in their belief that although the other senses may be important, it is only what we see that can actually be believed. But this isn't news to everybody because even the Jewish writers would talk about that. In Judaism, they've long re recognized the tension between what they call the culture of the eye and the culture of the ear. Stay with me. It's, I'm talking here, but stay with me. I'm going to go someplace with this. He said, I believe that distinction is so fundamental that it finds its history, its origin, its understanding from Genesis chapter 3. Maybe we could go there just for a minute because he writes the first sin, Genesis chapter 3, when, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, it was because God had said, you will not eat of the tree of, the, of the good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then he comes, Genesis chapter 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The, wood said to the, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. That's not true, said the serpent. You'll not die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now listen, when the woman saw eyes, saw the fruit of the tree that was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig trees together and made covering for themselves. 
he writes, what brought them into disobedience was what they saw. Not with what they had heard because God said, don't do this. But when they moved from the hearing of the word of God and then they looked at it, temptation came and that's what began. Their actions were determined by what they saw, the beauty of the tree, but not about the hearing of the word of God. You see, I think that we're like Thomas in that unless we see it, we're not going to believe it. We're not going to be listening to it. There is so much importance in having a personal relationship with God that you hear his word. Now, I'll go through some scriptures and some of you are already getting this out because it's about listening to the voice of a God that we don't see. A God who says, don't worship the things you see. Don't buy into the idolatry, which is why it appeals to man, because we see something that we can worship, and God said, don't you do that. I want you to follow what I say, and that can only be found in his revealed presence, only found as we, we know him and read and listen in his word. So we understand why they did what they did. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. Foundational to our life and walk with God, I think, is that we need to move from that idea that I will only worship a God that will show me something. In fact, some of the people who followed Jesus, they came, show us another sign, show us another sign. He said, I'm not going to show you any more signs. You know what to do. You've heard the voice of God. You need to obey that because we all want that. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 12. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to you. This is Moses talking to the children of Israel. The Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, his Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on the two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me, Moses said, to teach you the decrees and laws you to follow in the land. Verse 15. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, don't be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. Under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace out of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance as you are now. Turn one page over to chapter 6, or two couple pages to chapter 6. 
the stern admonition that God said, you must hear my voice and don't begin to follow what your eye sees. Don't make that thing you bow down to. I don't want to be very critical about this guy, but Judy and I were just married and we had lived in a one-room apartment uh, up in Stowe area. Three buildings, two floors. We had one-room apartments, one of those one-roomers, but all the way down, living room, kitchen, bathroom, closet, bedroom. Just one long line. Well, every Sunday morning, we get up to go to church, and the manager of our building had a Corvette. And every Sunday morning, as we pulled out of the parking lot, you look down, we're in the center of three big buildings, and he's down on the far end. He would polish his Corvette. He would rub it down. He would look it over and get it all set up every Sunday morning. We watched him do this. We didn't have garages, so he'd, you know, care, care, care for this. And the word was amongst us, his neighbors in this building, that before he would even let his wife ride in his Corvette, he would take her to the side. He said, you open the door with one finger. You unlatch the door. Here's the cloth. Wipe off your fingerprints. Step inside the car carefully, puts a foot here and a foot here, and then you reach over with two fingers, again, pull the door closed, and wipe it down. And we would talk to each other and said, the dude's worshiping. He's got this thing all handled. I mean, this thing is shining up and really good. He also was a junior high school teacher up at the, the junior high there. And then his kids egged his Corvette. <laughs> it reminds me of the Bible where the Dagon the, the, it fell over and broke. Remember when the Ark of God came into the city of the Philistine armies there? I don't remember what happened, but I do remember it wasn't a happy day because the idol got sort of messed up. In case you don't know it, the eggs that are thrown at people, they can wash them off. Well, eggs thrown at fiberglass bodies, that does not good on them. So he was an unhappy guy. But we saw what it was. It was an ungodly man looking for something to, to worship, and he found a Corvette. It was a nice-looking Corvette. It was clean. It was really clean. I'm not sure how their marriage was working out, but, you know, they, you know honey, I'm not going to wipe off my finger. Oh, never mind. Okay. Like I said, I don't want to be too critical because that's all he knew how to do because he didn't know the living Savior. He didn't know there's a God who loved him. He really didn't. And so that's what we do, people. When we don't know Jesus, we find things to worship. But believers, we have got to obey the word of the Lord when he said, don't be enticed to look around you and find that out there to satisfy your heart. Grab my words. Now, the, the, the cornerstone of Judaism, the cornerstone, of, and they say it all the time, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, hear, O oh, hear, O Israel, verse 4, 6, 4, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your house. And do that, verse 12. Be careful. You don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Fear the Lord, serve him only. The issue is to remember, hear, O Israel, listen. And the word is not just listen as I heard you, but it's listening in order to obey. 
the Lord, the importance God places on this hearing. I could also read all through the New Testament. Let me just quote some verses for you. You can write these down. Romans 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. God's word spoken to his heart. John chapter 5, verse 24. Those who have the words of God and believe, they will have eternal life. John 5, 24. You hear the word of God and you believe the word of God. I said, for God so loved the word, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You hear that word. You believe that word. You have everlasting life. John 17, 8. He said, Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, he said, I have given them the word you have given to me. I gave them your word. Did he give them miracles? Sure. Did he give them signs? Absolutely. Did he rise from the dead? Yes. But what was it that Jesus gave? He said, I give you the words of my Father, the word of God to you. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Suffield. Hear, O Christian church around the world. Hear the Lord and obey his voice. I want to go to one other individual this morning. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Some of you will know this story, but I want you to hear it again. For Samuel comes after the book of Judges, where the children of Israel just did whatever they wanted to do. Samuel was one of the last of the, of the judges. But Eli had been the, the priest, the high priest. He was doing all that. And there was a lady by the name of Hannah who said, God, you've got to hear my voice. I want a child. And she had a child. God answered her prayer. It's a powerful word. And she had a son by the name of Samuel. And she dedicated him to the Lord. And he came and he lived in the house of God with Eli the prophet. Verse 1 of 1 Samuel 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days... The word of the Lord was rare. And there weren't very many visions. So no one's hearing. The, it was a rare thing. Nobody's hearing the word of the Lord. Well, one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel answered, here I am, and he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. I'm down at verse 6 now. And again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go, lie back down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord. 
for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lied down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling at, as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I'll carry out against Eli, against Eli everything I've spoken against his family from beginning to end. For I had already told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to stop him or restrain him. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Now, this entire story, I really want to urge you to read the rest of it because I just want to go on to, the, to verse um, 39. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all of Israel. He spoke because it was the words that God had given him to speak. The first verse said it was rare. The last verse said it began to be renowned throughout all of Israel. There's a book that I have on my shelf. Um, I read it before a long time ago. It's called The Power of the Whisper. Hearing God, having the guts to respond. It's an interesting title, Hearing God Having the Guts to Respond. The author writes that he heard this story as a young boy in a Christian school, but the teacher had read him the story of Samuel. This message, let me read what he writes about this. The message the Lord then spoke to young Samuel was a prophetic promise that would radically impact an entire nation. But the content of that message is not what struck me as I sat in my wooden grade school desk. What struck me was the fact that the conduct got conveyed through the ears and lips of a little boy. The recess bell rang. Mrs. Van Solen stood and my classmates made a rush for the room's single door. Typically, I was the first kid on the field. Picking teams, filling positions, and generally organizing the sport of the day. But not today. Today I found myself glued to my seat. The story she read had leveled me for reasons I did not fully understand. When the room had emptied, save for Miss Van Solen and me, I eased out of my desk, stuffed my hands deep in my pockets, and walked up to my teacher. What is it, Billy? She asked, probably fearing the worst. Given it was recess and I was still inside, Miss Van Solen, I said as my throat began to choke up, does God still speak to little boys? She smiled, let a relieved sigh, placing her two hands on my small shoulders and looked me square in the eye. Oh, yes, Billy, he most certainly does. And if you learn to quiet yourself and listen, he will even speak to you. I'm sure of it. I felt a swell of release as I considered for the first time in my seven years of life 
that perhaps Christianity was more than ancient rules, creeds, and other stiff-necked ways. Maybe God really did speak, and maybe he'd speak to me. Seven years old, that's what he's thinking. As he leaves the room, she said, wait a minute. I want to give you a poem, and I want you to memorize it. And this is the poem. And he said, I could still remember to this day as he's writing the book. Oh, give me Samuel's ear, an open ear, O Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of thy word, like him to answer to thy call and to obey thee first of all. To listen. To listen to his voice and to respond to it. In the book of Revelation, there are seven churches mentioned at the end of every paragraph describing the letter to the church Seven times it is repeated over and over, chapter 2 and chapter 3. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Listening to God's voice. We have to learn how. It's not an easy thing to do. We're used to seeing with our eyes and not with our hearts. Now just for a moment, look inside. He saved you. I trust you've opened your heart to him. He's changed you, healed you, delivered you, answered your prayers, provided financially for you, and blessed upon blessed. Still trusting in sight? Still not hearing? Listen, Hebrews 4.12, there's a whole section, Hebrews chapter 3, you can turn there as we close, Hebrews chapter 3. And I want you to just look down, and you're going to see some indentations in your writing down to verse 7. As the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as your ancestors did. Down to verse 15 in Hebrews chapter 3, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion. Chapter 4, you look at verse 7. Down at the end of seven, the end of the verse, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. We need to learn how to listen. Learn how to listen to God's word. Get God's word in our heart. And now down to verse 12. We, we can't ignore his word. Reading his, reading his word, getting his word in your heart. But it's not just reading, it's getting quiet enough to, quiet enough to let the Holy Spirit speak to you through his word. Look at verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered, laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It's time to listen. We've been busy, people. We've been so caught up with our stuff, things to do, places to go, people to see. But I don't want my heart to be so cluttered that I'm re 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 revolt or, or just all I can do is just see and not hear. Because I believe that God is looking for a people who hear his word and obey what he says and listen to his voice. 
and not be like a Thomas. By the way, Thomas turned out to be a great missionary, went all the way over to southern India and preached the gospel. Thomas did. But at this point in his journey, he said, unless I see it, unless I can touch it, I will not believe. Where are you this morning? Where are you in your walk? The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste is in there. Feeling, temperature, feeling, all that stuff. But will you come into the understanding today that we don't harden our heart when he speaks? We listen to him. We need more love. We need more power. We need more of him. But it's going to come by faith, by trusting in his word and obeying it. Worship team, if you could come. As you stand, the worship team's going to come. I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads, close your eyes, just to cloud, crowd people out. There's nothing mystical I'm saying about that, but I would like you just to close your eyes. Don't look around and simply say, Lord, what would you say to me today? I don't want to harden my heart, Lord. I want to listen to your voice. You've spoken words to me, and I want to obey those words. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would let all of us, no matter what our age, as you still speak to little boys, you still speak to old men and old ladies and young ladies because you delight to speak to us, your people. Lord, we need you. Say, Lord, I just need to hear you again. I need to hear you clearly. Holy Spirit, just come upon us today. Speak to our hearts.